0: Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. For one who believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats. For God has received him. Who are you to judge another servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he'll be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day above another, another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day, observes it to the Lord. And he who does not observe the day, to the Lord, he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks. And he who does not eat, to the Lord, he does not eat and gives God thanks. For none of us live to himself And none, no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, for it is written. As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us shall give account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. I know and am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. But to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Yet, if your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace, and the things by which one may edify another. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are pure. But it is evil for the man who eats with offense. It is good neither to eat meat, nor drink wine, nor do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended, or is made weak. Do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because he does not eat from faith. For whatever is not from faith is of sin. Bow your hearts to the Lord. Heavenly Father, Lord God, thank you for the light of your word. I just pray, Lord God, that each and every everyone gathered here this morning may bring a humble and contrite spirit before the God of the universe who is able to save our souls. And may that light penetrate each and every heart through the teaching of God's work, through your conduit, Jackie, this morning. And we pray these things in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen.
1: As we take a look this morning at Romans 14, it's like the defining chapter to discuss liberty and what liberty is and what legalism is. You see, we mess those things up all the time. So, uh, if you remember, it was a couple of weeks ago we talked about judging, what to judge, what not to judge, when judging's okay, when judging's not okay. Everybody knows the same verse, right? The judge not lest you... That you not be judged. Everybody knows it, but nobody knows what it means. Because over and over again, the Bible tells us to judge several things. But the word there used in that verse is crino. It means to condemn. And it's not our job to condemn anyone. That's God's job. The other thing God's Word tells is that we have no business judging anyone outside of the church. That means pointing our finger at lost sinners it has no place. What do you mean? But they're lost. You ought to expect them to be lost. Not expect them to be... Somewhat different, they're lost. We could waste your time judging them. They don't have the Holy Spirit. They're not saved. You want to do something constructive? Reach them with the gospel of Jesus Christ, enabling them to understand that though they're broken, God loves them no matter what. And He will do a work of change from the inside out. And as they come to life in Christ, they put their hope and trust in Him. The Holy Spirit begins to work in their life. Then God begins to clean out. See, that's what we've gone through in Romans 1 through 13. We talked about justification, sanctification, glorification. We talked about our security in our our salvation. We talked about... The problems that we see in the righteousness of God with Israel and their election and what that wrought for them and and what that means for their future. And now we're at the practical part of Romans where he says, now all this stuff I've talked about, here's the practical part. Beginning in Romans 12, he said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. That means you give yourself away wholly and completely, totally. You don't... Keep something somewhere else. It's all his or it's not his. That's an important concept. God don't have no partial sacrifice. He got it all or he don't got you. Now if he has you, we want to give all of that away. He calls us to walk in love. He calls us to understand our relationship to the law in chapter 13, telling us that love fulfills the law. And then when we come to chapter 14, it begins there in verse 1. And we talked about this a little bit a couple of weeks ago. So, so I don't want you guys to... I can't go too far over it or we'll never get done. Romans 14.1, it says, Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. What's he talking about? Weak In the faith. Well, he's telling us. He was just talking about in chapter 13, people who didn't understand our relationship to the law. You know, there's 613 commandments. There's dietary commandments. There's ways to wash. There's ways to keep your house. There's all of these requirements. So when he's talking about someone who's weak in the faith, he's talking about a person who's still caught up in legalism. Legalism is not stating... What God's word calls sin is sin. That's not legalism. It's not being legalistic. Every time I tell you it's not okay for you to live with your girlfriend or your boyfriend and not be married, that's not legalism. That's sin. The Bible calls it that. That's not a problem. Legalism is if I was to tell you, you can't eat shrimp no more. Because if you eat shrimp, it doesn't, it, it makes you less holy. And if you don't have a feng shui house, and some of you guys don't even know what that is, huh? No? I don't know what it is. I think it means you can see the back door from the front door. But if I say, if you don't have, it's not, it's not what it means? That's not feng shui? Okay, well anyways, you get the point. If I said you had to have that in order to have a right relationship with God, that's legalism. Legalism is not holding up the Word of God and saying, this is what the Word of God says, my life ought to look like this. That's not legalism, that's reality. Legalism is when I start to attribute other things, things out of the law. And he just told us, all the law is fulfilled in this, that you love the Lord God Almighty and your neighbor as yourself. You will fulfill the law if you do that. And then he comes to 14 and he talks about liberty. Now, so we've got a concept. Here's what legalism is and what it's not. Here's what liberty is and what liberty is not. Liberty is that you are free to do everything in Christ. That's your freedom. Liberty is not you are free to do whatever you want. That's not liberty. That might be your definition, but that's not what the Bible's talking about when it talks about liberty. And he's going to define that in chapter 14. He's going to define what liberty is and what it's not. He's going to define legalism, what it is and what it's not, and, and how to deal with those two things. Now, we already looked at verses 1 through 9, so I'm going to go through them quick. <clears throat> but if you have questions about that, holler at me or grab a tape. But as we work our way through, just to remind you, we talked about the fact, the reality, that there are times God calls us to judge. But when we come to 14, beginning of verse 1, he's going over the things that are reasons not to judge. Now, what does our liberty mean? Our liberty excludes us from judging our brother. Your freedom in Christ excludes you from judging your brother. Now, some people think our liberty in Christ gives me the right to judge my brother. That's not the reality. Now, I'm not talking about a brother who's in sin. That's outside the box. We talked about that last time. Yes, we confront a brother who's in sin. I'm just talking about a guy who's, who's about doubtful things. Now, what he said in verse 1? Chapter 14, verse 1, he said very clearly, Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. So he's talking, the context of that chapter is doubtful things, not very clear things, right? Husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church, very clear. Wives, submit yourself to your husbands as unto the Lord. Very clear. So we, we'll worry about the very clear things. We've got enough problem with those, right? Do I have to go on? Children, obey your parents. That's, there's no end date to that. Oh, that's rugged, huh? Oh, no, I'm 18, I don't have to listen no more. Oh, man. But anyways, we won't do that. But the point is, those are plain. Okay, those are things that are plain laid out in God's word for us. But now he's talking about doubtful things. And he very specifically in this chapter talks about two issues. What they eat and what day they worship. Now those two things are not issues that make you saved, right? So we're not speaking of essentials. You guys understand what I mean? Essentials are those areas within the word of God that are not up for dispute. That Jesus is God in the flesh is not up for dispute. That he died for our sins, that I am condemned before God already. And that he makes me clean. That's that's not up for dispute. That's essentials. What we're talking about are, are the little trivial things that we get bent out of shape about. Right? Like the preacher wearing flip flops. Now, yeah, you say, Oh, who would complain? Well, they're not here no more. They left. Flip-flops don't make you more holy or less holy. I I think I can make a good argument for more holy because sometimes the Bible says, kick off your shoes, you're on holy ground, right? So, But the point is, those are doubtful disputations. We're not to waste our time arguing over doubtful disputations, but we are to receive that brother who has the problem. So we got a brother who's legalistic, who's got legalistic issues. He says, don't throw that guy out the church, man. Welcome him in. Receive him. But don't argue over all those things. The concept is going to be, as we work our way through this chapter, to love Him. To love Him. And do those things that are going to help Him. Because God says, if I harden His conscience against something that God has already spoke to His conscience about, then I can obliterate the work of God. Well, that's kind of mind-boggling, isn't it? Just chew on that for a minute. If God has told my brother, he's not supposed to eat no meat. And I come to him and say, oh, come on, man, it's no big deal. Eat some meat. And he eats meat. I'm leading him into sin. Because if God told him not to eat it, I don't care the word says or doesn't say. That's God's work in his life. And if God is telling him to do something, it's not my place. It's not an essential. It's not my place to straighten him out. That's what he's talking about in chapter 14. It's important we look at it. We also need to understand as we talk about this, not judging our brother. We're talking about, again, non-essentials. We're not judging them in non-essentials. There's freedom in Christ for a variety of different views and feelings on things that are not essential doctrine. As we work our way through that, here's something vital to understand. Last Two weeks ago, people didn't listen, so try to listen to me this time. I got phone calls two weeks ago. Did you say... No, that's not what I said. Okay, so listen. Before you ever worry about your brother, the Bible is clear that you are to take the log out of where? Your own eye eye, so that you can take the speck out of theirs. So before you run and tell somebody, no, Jackie told me something that's going to straighten you all out. Make sure... That you're not beating him into the ground with the log sticking out of your eye. While you're trying to do something that you think is good, but you're not considering. The word of God as a mirror It comes to me first. I got to ingest it and make it a part of my life before I can take it out. You guys with me? So we got to be able to do that. Okay, so let's roll. We're going to roll through these first nine verses pretty quick. When it is wrong to judge, and according to Romans 14, 1 through 12. The first thing that liberty does is excludes me from judging my brother in these areas. When disagreements with other believers is over doubtful things. That's what he said in verse 1, right? Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. For one believes he may eat all things... But he who is weak eats only vegetables. His concept is the one who has the more stringent view is the one who is weaker. Your freedom is, is greater, but it doesn't mean you despise him. We're going to talk about that in a minute. So we don't argue over doubtful things. So we don't have those kind of disagreements. Second thing, <clears throat> when we think we're better than others so that our, or that our position is the only correct one to consider. In other words, we look down on or despise someone who is, has a different view which we tend to do, and our liberty excludes us from doing that, it says in verse 3, let not him who eats despise him who does not eat. Let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. He says, let not him despise. What, you got no business hating your brother over what he eats or don't eat, or over what day he worships uh, or doesn't worship. Or over what he does or doesn't do. We have no business. Liberty in Christ excludes us from that judgment that, that, that can occur when we think we're better than somebody else because our position must be more holy. Look, if it's not in this book, it is either your opinion or God's Spirit working in you. And when God's Spirit works in you, it's for you. You guys get it? God's spirit worked in your life and He said, you know what, man, I got to get rid of TV and I got to get rid of my radio and I got to get rid of all this stuff in my life. I'm going to clean all that stuff up and I'm going to have all this more, more time with God. And that for me to take that and come to you and say, thus saith the Lord, that's wrong. But for you to come to me and say, that's crazy, is also wrong. Because God's a big God and He can work in your life and my life in different ways as long as it's not essential doctrine. Everybody with me so far? I haven't lost anybody because it can get confusing. I don't want to lose you. The the next thing, the third thing, we're, we're excluded from judgment when we try to play God. When we try to play God. That's covered in verse 4, chapter 14. Who are we to judge another servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. Who judges the servant? You? He's God's servant. That's like coming to an employee in in, in Walmart, and you're there on Black Friday, and they were so helpful. And so you say, you know what? You're so helpful, I'm going to give you a raise. He'll look at you like you're crazy. How are you going to give me a raise? You might go tell my boss I did a great job, and he may be too busy to hear you. You have no authority to give me a raise, nor do you have any authority to take it away. He belongs to somebody else, right? He's responsible to someone else. In the body of Christ, we're responsible to God. You are, I am, we're going to see in a moment, we are all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Not half of us, not some of us, all of us. Christ will decide if what we've done was right or wrong. Not talking about essentials. Everybody's still with me, right? I'm talking about what you eat, how you dress, what you drive. You know, the issues that are not specifically spoken of in the word of God. So we are not to play God. It excludes us from judgment. God will judge that brother. If God told you to give up your TV, but He didn't tell him, that's between him and the Lord. And your walk is between you and the Lord. How it works out between you and He. The next thing that we saw was that we we are excluded from judgment if we don't respect the opinions or convictions of others. Not everybody sees things the same way we do. It says in verse 5, One person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. Did Paul solve it? You have a hard time reading Paul and saying, yep, Paul said we have to worship on Sunday. Well, that's our tradition. Maybe it's a good tradition, but other people have a tradition of worshiping on Saturday. Still others have a tradition of working during the middle of, or worshiping during the middle of the week. Is one better than another? No, very clearly, that's his point. One's not better than another. It's it's The point is, you do what God's asking you to do when the, in the areas of your life that are not specifically covered by the Word of God. Now, how are you going to know whether or not it's specifically covered by the Word of God? Yeah, Paul assumes you know it. Okay, he assumes you know what's in here. If you run around thinking, I'm good but you don't spend no time in here, you may not be okay. There may be some serious issues that you you need to deal with, but in non-essential areas, in areas that aren't specifically spoken by the Word of God, we don't have that that point where we're supposed to direct our convictions on others, nor others' convictions on us. We should be all able to worship together. Some people would rather have an organ. Some people would rather have an electric guitar. doesn't make any difference. Let each be fully convinced In his own mind, there's space in the body of Christ for it all. And that's the point that that Paul's making here. We're not to tear down the body of Christ over these issues. Or when we question the motives of other people. Do you have the ability to know the motives of other people? Come on, somebody's going to nod yes, I'm going to find you. (laughs) It'll be a husband or a wife who does it. Oh, I know what she's thinking all the time. Yeah, sorry. You got no idea. Sometimes you'll be right. And that will tease you into thinking you know. We don't know the motives of other people. Who knows the heart? God. What did he tell us in the Old Testament? He said, we judge from what? What we see, the outside. But God judges how? From a heart. So, we're not supposed to think that we have the ability to judge from the heart. We can't know motives. We might think somebody's motive is awesome, and God says, man, that guy's got stinky motive. Right? So, th- so the concept that he's laying out, look, we, we can't, we don't have the ability to question the motives of others, so we ought not to be doing that. In fact, in Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 4, 5, he says this, Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsel of the heart. Then each one's praise will come from God. Judge, what did he say? Nothing before the time of the Lord comes. I can't know your heart. But God knows it. And that Paul's point is, we're all going to stand in that place. We're also not supposed to doubt the relationship someone has with the Lord because their convictions are different than our... Oh, that person can't be saved because he's got a TV. Well, that person can't be saved. He rode a motorcycle without a helmet. Well, that person can't be saved because he has a Kia. You know, none of those things matter. We laugh about them, but sometimes the differences we make, the distinctions are just as silly says in Romans 14:7 through 9 for none of us lives to himself no one dies to himself for if we live we live to the lord if we die we die to the lord everything we do are his right everything we do are his everything we're about it belongs to him therefore whether we live or die we belong to god we're his so to this end christ died and rose and lived again that he might be lord of both the dead and the living so the issues are not issues of sin, where, where our liberty is in doubtful things and all this other stuff. Nope. We, we, those issues do not separate us from God. Whether you wear a belt or you don't. Whether you tuck in your shirt. Church I grew up in, if you came in without your shirt tucked in, they chase you out. So there were kids trying to come into a church that today is dead, but didn't tuck in their shirt. They got chased out by the deacons and the elders. Now that church is dead because they chased away all the life over something that doesn't matter. Right? It just doesn't matter. It doesn't make any sense. So, finally, he, he, he wants us to know there in verse 10 through 12, we are excluded from judgment and the reason we should not judge is because we forget our personal accountability to God. Our personal accountability to God. Look... Why do you judge your brother? Why do you show contempt for your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Why do you need to judge your brother? Again, not talking about a brother in sin, the word is very clear. If I got a brother in sin, I'm supposed to talk to him about his sin. I'm going to present his sin before him, and he's either going to hear me or he's not going to hear me. And if we go far enough down that road that he won't hear, I'm supposed to treat him like an unbeliever which means he's not really acting like a believer, so maybe he doesn't know Jesus, so maybe I need to go back to block one and start working Jesus with him instead of his sin. But in the church, we're to judge sin in the church, not outside the church, in the church. But here, I'm talking about doubtful things, issues that aren't supposed to be issues. Who are you to judge another man's servant? Jesus Christ is going to judge you, and he's going to judge me for every word I said. For every motivation of my heart. Everything I ever did. If that doesn't give you an inkling of fear. There's probably something wrong with you. He said we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Every one of us. Every single believer. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, I believe. So if you want to roll over there, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we'll pick it up about verse 9. There's a lot of other stuff all the way back from verse 1, but we're pressed, so we'll skip that part. In verse 9 we'll say, For we are God's fellow workers, us, people within the body of Christ. You are God's field, and you are God's building. According to the grace of God... Which was given to me, a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. So Paul says, you came to salvation, a foundation has been laid. And we may wonder, what's that foundation? He tells us, for no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So he's the foundation, there's your essentials, right? The essential doctrine that brings about salvation. He's the foundation, Jesus Christ. Now, my life is about building. Building what Jesus has laid the foundation to my life. The, the ministry I may be a part of, whatever direction God's calling me to, is my job, not somebody else's job, my job to build that, to, to build. He like says, take heed how you build. What materials you use in that building. Look what he says. He says now in verse 12. Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw. Each one's work will become clear. For the day will declare it. The day. Definite article before the word day. He's not talking about any old day. He's talking about the day of judgment. When you and I stand before Jesus Christ at the judgment seat. Now, a lot of argument about when that happens, you know what, doesn't really make any difference. It's going to happen. Whether that happens the moment you die and you see the Lord, or whether that happens down around Revelation 20, doesn't make any difference. At some point, we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And he's going to judge how we built upon the foundation of Jesus Christ he's going to say, if, if you built in gold and silver and precious gems, then those things will stay. Right? It's going to be tested by fire. Isn't that what he declares to us? It says, the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's... What's it say? What's that word? Work. Does it say salvation? Oh, no. It says work. Okay. So it will test each one's work, what sort it is. If anyone's work... Which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be, what's that word? Saved. Saved. So he's not lost no matter what, right? There's no place in 1 Corinthians 3 describing the judgment seat of Christ where it talks of the loss of salvation. What it talks about is the loss of reward. What you did, how you built the life he gave you. He saved you, what would you do with it? He hung on the cross and died and bled for you so that He could make you a new creation created in Christ Jesus for good works that God has planned in your life. And one day, I will stand before God and present what I did with what He gave me. And He'll judge it. And He'll cause it to pass through the fire. And what remains is the reward and what is burned up is lost. That part's gone. So in light of the fact that we are all going to be judged, why are we hung up on judging each other? Over the doubtful issues. Over what we can do or what we can't do. And the governing point in all that and through all that ought to, it should be love. In 2 Corinthians 5.10, it says, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. We don't use people to build our work. We use our work to build people. Raising up people is what it is all about. Not raising up buildings. And much as I love to fill up a building and have the seat, every seat filled and the, and the parking lot packed and people say, man, there's a lot of people over there, that feeds my pride. That does nothing to feed the body of Christ. The way more important to pour into the lives of people, raise them up and watch what God does to them or through them in their life. What we do with what Christ has given us is what we will be judged for. He goes on there in verse 11. The biblical context is given to us. Look. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me and every tongue will confess. You got the choice. The only choice you got. When? You can do it now or you can do it later. But every knee is going to bow. Every tongue is going to confess to God, the Lord Jesus Christ, to the glory of God the Father. So what's the conclusion then? So since then, each of us shall give an account of himself to God. If that's true, each of us are going to give an account of himself to God, then should we not lay a hand upon our mouth before we criticize our brother? What about when we pass a swift, uninformed, unloving, ungenerous judgment on somebody else? So, so Paul says, man, in your liberty, in your freedom in Christ, that's a freedom to be what Christ wants you to be, to do what Christ wants you to do, not to criticize or tear down your brother. Look, the whole world knows that the church spends all its time shining its armor or fighting amongst itself. And I have shared before, I got no interest in fighting next to a dude with shiny armor. When I was in the Marine Corps, I did not look for the guy who was the neatest, prettiest, who could pass all the inspections. I didn't care. I want to look at the dude who was scarred up, tore up, his, his, his camis were all dirty and he was alive! Because he was living the life and walking the walk and doing what he had to do. And that's how we ought to be in the church. Our armor ought to be dented. How do you have shiny armor? You're not in any fights if you got shiny armor. You get out and you and you get into the, to the mud and the blood where people's lives are. And you know what happens out there? It's a mess. And they step on your heart. And they'll kick you in the teeth. And you'll pour out and you'll try to do something good. And they'll stab you in the back later over it. And you look at all that and you think, you know, I'm not going to do that no more. What? What do you mean? Don't you know that's why Jesus died? Just to give you the chance to do that? To let them do those things. He's the example, right? Nailing him to the cross and shouting out, Father, forgive them as they dislocate his shoulder. Or as they beat him or spit on him or pull out his beard. And still ministering from the cross to the thief on the cross that would receive. The point is, to live down in that with people, to be ministering to people. we got lots of problems around here. I don't know if anybody noticed. There's no, there's no shortage of people strung out on meth. There's no shortage of people who's made so many bad decisions in their life that their life is just one giant example circling the drain. They're supposed to find hope from us. They're outside. Not judgment from us. Help. You didn't never see Jesus. Who was Jesus spending all his time judging? Yeah, the people who said, Oh man, I would never touch a person like that. They're dirty. They mess up. They do wrong things. They, they've ruined their life. Forget them. That's not what that's the people Jesus was with. Wasn't it? So Romans 14 says, look, here's our liberty, here's our freedom. You have the freedom to be taken advantage of. And you got the freedom to be beaten for Jesus' sake. And you got the freedom to not hold anything back when you love somebody else but you don't got the freedom to judge your brother. You don't got the freedom to point your finger across the aisle and fight amongst yourself. Jesus only give one commission. We spend a lot of time about arguing about stuff that ain't in that commission. Go to all the world. Make disciples of everybody you can. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Interesting that the Trinity is right there in the Great Commission. But anyway, I digress. And teach them the things I have commanded you. And I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That's the call. That's what he wants us to do we don't want to get caught up in all these things. We don't want to get caught up in this in this bad attitude that people have as we look through the scriptures. Man, we don't, I don't want to be I don't want I don't want that to be the mark so so we're excluded from that judgment. But listen, we also our liberty gives us the right to exercise love to others. Not judgment. To exercise love to others. Look, look what it says in verse 13. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. He started in verse 1 by saying, you receive that weaker brother, even though he's got these hang-ups. And then he challenges us, don't make him fall. So that means you don't have the right to exercise your freedom to drink in front of a brother for whom it stumbles. I don't care what you think. Bible's clear. Never. That's why I don't. I never will. I'm free to. Absolutely free to. Absolutely right. And I'm also absolutely free not to. So if it's going to cause a brother, a problem. I know of, of, of real life situations where people's freedom to do that led directly to a person who they led to the Lord falling into alcohol and never coming out again. Never. They died an alcoholic. You do not have the right to be so free to cause a brother to fall, but you do have the right to love him, though he's weak. And how do you love him? So you don't do, you don't exercise your freedom where it's going to cause him to stumble. That's it. Do not destroy the work of Christ who died for that man. Not what the word is going to declare to us. Look what he says in verse 14. I know and I am convinced by the Lord Jesus there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean, right? Nothing is unclean of itself. So we're not talking about specific issues. There are specific things in the scripture tells us are unclean. That's not what he's talking about. We're talking about doubtful things, things on the fringe, things are on the outside. Okay, so he says something's not, look, a TV is not evil, uh, a diet drink's not evil, uh, um, a steak it's not evil, it's just stuff. But to him who thinks it is unclean, is unclean. In other words, if God is working in your heart and mind and he says, you know what, you need to get that out of your life. For you not to get it out of your life, it is sin. And for me to come along later and to say to you, you know what, there's no big deal, just have it. That's leading a brother into sin and causing him to stumble. Who am I, who am I, to take another person's conscience that God has spoken to, but how arrogant do I have to be to, to, to lift myself above that? I've told you before, you want to st- stop me arguing with your decisions in your life, just do this. God told me. Right on. You're my brother. God told you. Go do it. If it's as long as it's not like God told me to get a divorce, then we're gonna have a problem. But if you tell me God told me that to, I'm supposed to go to Timbuktu, Hallelujah, Look, go to Timbuktu. It's not my job to say that the, has half the Lord said. No, those are the words the devil spoke, isn't it? So my job, if there's not clear definition in the Word of God. It's to try to support that. He's going to stand before Jesus Christ at the judgment seat and make, give an account for what he said, God said. It's not a game. We don't want to be standing in that place, do we? Trying to tell lies to Jesus? So nothing is unclean in and of itself, but if someone thinks it's unclean, it is. Therefore, probably as far as we're going to go. Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is not all these little things we tend to want to argue about. If my brother is grieved, in verse 15, because of my food, I am no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. Man. Did you catch that? If your brother is grieved because of your food, you put anything you want to in there. Your food, your drink, the stuff you're doing, the things you're free in. If your brother is greed, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. Well, is that how we want to stand before the Lord? I'm so sure I'm right. Be sure. I will stand before God. And I don't want to stand there and say, you know what, my freedom, in my freedom, in my own rights, exalting my own decisions, lifting myself up on high, destroyed my brother. And no way. No way. Walk in love. Isn't that what he tells us to do? So walking in love means we lay aside that stuff. We lay aside anything that might cause a brother to stumble. You are free <laughs> to give up all your freedom. You're free to lay it all down because that's what the one did who we follow. You remember him, right? He laid down everything. And he's freer than anybody. He could have come off the cross. He could have walked away. He could have said, see you later. He could have said, I'll start over. Let there be light. Everybody's gone. But he didn't do any of those things. He laid it aside. And what I read in scripture is Jesus then saying to you and I, come, follow me. Follow me. So we want to experience the the, the 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 practical aspects of experiencing the righteousness of God in our life, and as we experience that, we're to walk in love, and we're to walk in dedication, and we're to walk in obedience with the revealed Word of God. What God's Word lays out for us very clearly, we want to walk in obedience to all those things. And in liberty, what governs our liberty is love. What keeps us out of legalism? Considering the, the the judgment seat of Christ. <laughs> that ought to keep you out of legalism. Love keeps us on the path we need to be on. Not sloppy agape, real love. Like the love of God. That's where we want to be. That's where we want to go. That's how we want to to be able to move forward. So I don't want to destroy my brother with my freedom. I want to love him. And sometimes that means... Letting go of the little things. You guys know the old saying, right? Don't sweat the small stuff. You know what part two is? Come on. It's all small stuff. It's all small stuff. Don't. Don't. Don't let that happen. Look. Man, this right here. The most important thing you have. You do what it says. But if it's not in here then you don't cause your brother to stumble or trip or mess up. You love him. You encourage him. You prepare him. You do all the things that you can to be a part of of what he needs you to be a part of. That's what we can do in our freedom. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, I just as we as we look through this section and we, it's something that we just struggle with so much in the church. Lord, I just pray, God, you help us, Lord Jesus, that we would just get our minds wrapped around the the idea, man. I'm it's just not about me. It is about you, glorifying you, lifting you up, not me. And while. You have given me freedom in life. If, if by my freedom I cause my brother, I destroy him. Man, that's not love. So I gladly let it go. And follow the example of Christ who gladly laid aside his rights for me. Lord, if we could just begin to grasp the reality of what you're calling us, how you're calling us to love each other within the body, and how you're calling us to deal with people outside of the body, then we would see an effective church making a difference in this community. God, I pray that you just help us to get it right in our heads. but so often it's so easy to point our fingers at those outside and not point our fingers at ourselves. To try to remove the log in the world's eye but not consider the log in my own. God, that we would allow your word to do its work in us so that we might be able to share it with those in need. God, that we would just be, be able to understand I'm free. I'm so free. But if my freedom causes my brother to stumble, then I'd rather be a slave. Which is probably why every book of the Bible we read says so-and-so a bond slave of Christ. God, I pray that that would be our hope and plan. You are everything. That you are the center of it all. God, that you be glorified and magnified, Lord, in this place, that we would just come to know and realize everything that you have for us is so good. I pray that we just come to you in reality with open hearts, asking you to do that work within us. Change us from the inside out. Make us men and women able to be utilized for you, for your glory and not for ours. God, I pray that you just meet us in this place as we give you praise in Jesus name.